So this is our culmination of our, this is our eighth week in the book study of Revelation, so we're going to finish tonight. So we're going to push right through it. I want to welcome our, any live streaming audience that's been with us. I know there's several watching from online, so welcome. If, uh, if you'd like more information, I really recommend uh, Tim LaHaye's book, Revelation Unveiled. It's really a, a great, I really have enjoyed this whole study. I think he does a really good balanced job of, uh, of that. Several of the other commentaries I've been using as well. And so, well, let's get started. Praise God. We're in chapter 19. We have been seven weeks getting through all the woes and all the huhs to the place where, yay, we're here. It's about ready to culminate uh, in history. And I think we're very close, actually, to to where we are. So I welcome any first-timers here, first-time visitors tonight. Hi, John? Yeah, John told me John was here, so welcome, John. Any other first-time visitors here tonight? All right, well, good. Well, glad you're here. Oh, David. Oh, hi, David. Yeah, good to see you, man. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Hope you can jump right in. All right, I'm going to, I want to read. These are actually shorter chapters, even though they're jam-packed. So I want to go ahead, if you'll open in your word, uh, to Revelation chapter 19, we're at this place where it's actually almost finished, the culmination of time, and we're going to read through uh, the remaining four chapters. So let's just get together. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Uh, I will at times uh, reference also the parallel Bible here of King James. So, songs of victory in heaven. That's why I love this first song you did. It's like hallelujah, right? Verse 1, chapter 19, Revelation. After this... I heard what sounded like a vast crowd in heaven shouting, Praise the Lord, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. His judgments are true and just. He has punished the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. He has, am he has avenged the murder of his servants. And again their voices rang out, Praise the Lord. The smoke from the city ascends forever and ever. Then the 24 elders and the four living beings fell down and worshiped God who was sitting on the throne. They cried out, Amen, praise the Lord. And from the throne came a voice that said, Praise our God, all His servants, who all who fear Him, from the least to the greatest. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd, or a roar of a mighty ocean wave, or the crash of a loud thunder. Praise the Lord. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to Him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and His bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, and for the fine linen representing the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And when he, then he added, these are the true words that come from God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said, no, no, don't worship me. I'm a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and your sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God, for the essence of prophecy is to give, prophecy is to give clear witness for Jesus, the rider on the white horse. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly, he wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him no one understood except himself. 
He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe, at his thigh, was written the title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, Come, gather together for the great banquet of God that has been prepared. Come, eat the flesh of kings and generals, strong warriors of horses and their riders, of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and the armies that gather together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who had worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse, and the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. 1,000 years. Chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, and the key to the bottomless pit, and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, the old serpent who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a 1,000 years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit and then shut and locked so Satan could had not deceive the nations anymore until a thousand years were finished. After, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and the people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark on their forehead or on their hands. They all came to life again, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until a thousand years had ended. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power, but they will be the priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. When the thousand years had come to an end, Satan will be led out of his prison. He will go out to deceive the nations, called Gog and Magog, in every corner of the earth. He will gather together for battle a mighty army, as numberless as the sands of the seashore. And I saw them as they went up on the broad plain of the earth, surrounded God's people and beloved city. But fire from heaven came down, attacking armies that consumed them. Then the devil who had, been, had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Final judgment. And I saw a great white throne and one sitting on it, and the earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. The books were opened, including the book of life. 
The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead. Death and grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. Death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. The New Jerusalem, chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And he said to me, write this down. For I tell you, is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. And all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God. And they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, corrupt, murderers, immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fire of lake burning sulfur. And this is the second death. The one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said to me, come with me and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and it sparkled like the precious stones, jasper, as clear as crystal. The city wall was broad and high, 12 gates guarded by 12 angels. The names of the 12 tribes of Israel were written on the gates. And there were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. The wall of the city had 12 foundation stones. And on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick. The measuring stick of the city, its gates and its walls. He measured it out and it found it a square as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height each 1,400 miles. Then he measured the walls and I found them to be 216 feet thick according to the human standard used by the angel. The wall was made of jasper, the city pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city built on the foundation stones lay inlaid with 12 precious stones the first was jasper, second sapphire, third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl, and the main street was pure gold as glass. I saw no temple in the city. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. 
And the city has no need for the sun or the moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day, because there's no night there. All the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel followed me, or showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, following from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down from the center of the main street on each side of the river grew tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. Then the angel said to me, everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God, who inspires his prophets, has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. Jesus is coming. Look, I'm coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw all these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down and worshipped at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said, no, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and the prophets, as well as all who obey what is written in this book. Worship only God. Then he instructed me, don't seal up the prophecy the prophetic words in this book, for the time is near. Let the one who is doing harm continue to do harm. Let the one who is vile continue to be vile. Let the one who is righteous continue to live righteously. And let the one who is holy continue to be holy. Look, I'm coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of light. Outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshipers, and all those who love to live a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. I am the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who's thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires to drink freely from the water of life. And I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to this and what is written, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of the prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and the holy city that is described in this book. He who is faithful witness to all these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus 
be with God's holy people. Woo! Man. What a prophecy of power. Whew. All right. Well, let's try to pull this all together. There's some really interesting things that um, I want to really call out us tonight that I think are relevant to understanding some of the specifics. Uh, at least in this part, I think it's pretty straightforward. The, the, between 14, 15, 16, 17, there was a lot of stuff going on. This one's pretty straightforward. He's coming back, and those who love him and proclaim him as Lord and Savior, they're going to live with him. He's going to redo the earth. This idea of uh, that he's, you know, we're already here, we're in utopia, it's going to get better and better. No, it's not going to happen. So we're on page 40. If you're in handout number four, so it's on the bottom there to the right is page 40. Why don't you open up there? We're going to look at the highlights of Revelation chapter 19. If you are uh, following along in unveiling, Revelation Unveiled, LaHaye's book, we're actually uh, in the, what's called part three, which is on page 289. The heavenly hallelujah chorus. That's why I loved, that was a good selection you guys picked tonight for our song set. <laughs> the heavenly hallelujah. And so when we see in Revelation 19, songs of victory in heaven. We're about ready. First, let me ask some questions. Um, who is the bride that is described here that has made herself ready? Let me go over here. I think somebody's been studying this and teaching it. Who do you think the bride is? It's those who have the relationship with Christ. It's the church. There's been a debate with some of the commentaries for years says it's Israel. Um, it's not. It's uh, in fact, there are those who proclaim Christ in Israel who are part of the, remember, we've all been grafted in, but this clearly is the ones who have made themselves ready. How do they make themselves ready? One, step one, get saved. How do you become righteous? It's only the blood of Christ, remember? It's probably, I think it's eight or nine times. Look at Romans 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 in those chapters. It says, you've been made the righteousness of Christ by what he did on the cross. Remember, you remember that you're, but it's by faith you've been saved, right? It's by his grace, but it's our faith. Roman, uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for by grace have you been saved through faith, not of yourselves, lest it's a gift of works, and any one of us could brag about it. It's not, that's, not, that's not how it works. And so there is no righteousness, none. Romans tells us, Paul tells us, there's none righteous, no, not one. But then there's a marvelous thing that happens. Once we come to Christ and profess that He is Lord and Savior, His blood washes us clean. It's at that point the Father sees us through the blood, and that royal blood allows us to walk right into the throne room without fear of judgment. I don't know about you, but that, just, that literally just blows my mind, okay? So royal is the blood of Christ. That's why those who poo-poo the blood of Christ say, well, there's many roads up to heaven. That is not true. There's only one way to heaven. Only one way. All the other religions of the world, they've got it all wrong. Now, it sounds biased from a man who believes in Christ, but it is true. Those who have the Son have the Father. Those who have not the Son have not the Father. It's very clear. The eyewitness accounts of the resurrection... The 500 eyewitnesses who saw him between the time of the resurrection and the ascension, that 40-day period that we see in the book of Acts, that 40-day period, he showed himself at one time to 500 eyewitnesses. It even says in, in Peter's account, 
Some of them are still alive. And then he says, I saw him as well. (laughs) Then he appeared to the apostles, right? So this eyewitness account of the ascension and those who are watching in Acts chapter 1 as he goes up, he says, the two angels show up and say, so why are you watching him go up? Don't you know he's coming back the same way? We see that here in the fulfillment when he touches down on the Mount of Olives. So when we look at page 40, some of the key points of this is there is a wedding feast. Well, who are the invited guests? If we know now that the bride is the church, those who profess Christ, we know who the groom is, right? Jesus, right? And so then who are the invited guests? Interesting question, right? Because the bride, I hadn't thought about this before. Think about this. The, the groom and the bride, they don't, they don't invite themselves to the wedding. They, they are the wedding, right? The groom is there, and, the, and they get together. Who should come? So there's an invitation list. So the question is, who are the invited? Blessed are those who are invited. Because the bride, those who believe in Christ, they're, they, they're, they're getting dressed up in the garment, right? By the deeds that have been read. All the stuff you're doing, every account of everything you've ever done, every word, every jot, every tittle, everything that you've done is recorded. That ought, to, that ought to do something to us. I'm telling you, there's going to be this place in the sky. When we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, those who love Christ and have professed Him as Savior and Lord, there is a judgment seat of Christ where you will be judged according to the works that you've done. You're already in the kingdom. You're part of the family. You're in the family of God. But now there's a reward system that will come out. Well, I don't like that. That sounds like works. You bet it is. It's about works. Once you're in, guess what? You now are a slave of Jesus Christ, is what Paul said, and many of the others said, or a servant. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, I now call you my friends. So there's this part where you come in, you're part of it, and there's a reward judgment that comes. That's why Paul said, on that day of judgment, every man's work, every woman's work will be tried by fire. It will be burned up. If it's wood, hay, and stubble, it's gone. If you did it out of your own self-righteousness to see what you could get out of this or some promotion of self, it's gone. But that which is done for the lamb out of a pure motive becomes the jewels that are part of the crown. But then there's the great white throne judgment, which we read about. That great white throne judgment is the judgment of all the dead. Those who have already died without Christ, who are sitting in a place called Sheol in hell in Hades, and then there's those that, are, that renounce Christ during the Great Tribulation. And so when we look at this, if you've got to think about this, if you want to turn to if those who have it, uh, we don't have a figure of this one in here, I don't think, maybe we do. Let me see. It's on page 288 in the book, and it is, take a look at on 45A in your handout. The judgment seat of Christ. This is the judgment of the believers. Hey, LaHay makes a point that it's probably after the rapture of the church during the seven-year period. You remember, the premise here is the church is out of here. When the tribulation hour starts, there's a seven-year period. The church, those who are professing Christ now, are in heaven with him. Then, during that period of time, is the judgment seat of Christ. He judges those who are His. Because what does Ephesians tell us about the spotless bride without wrinkle? Remember in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul tells us there's a spotless bride 
who's being prepared without spot or wrinkle. He's again refer, referring to the garments. In that ju- the judgment seat of Christ, here's the premise. The rapture of the church happens. The tribulation is going on. The world is being judged. God's wrath is being poured out. And the church and the judgment seat of Christ is happening in heaven. There's a court session. Go, while all this drama's going down, he's sending angels out. Go take the bowl of wrath. Put the plagues here. The woe of that. We're in heaven, and the court system is going down. And today's your day for court. You got your appearance notice, and you stand before Christ. And everything you've ever done, every thought, every word is then put there before the seat. Woohoo! That's why you really want to have a really good lawyer, and his name is Jesus. And when the accuser, anyone wants to say, well, you did this and this was a, and there'll be these tremendous erasure marks under the blood, under the blood, under the blood, not guilty. Dad, I paid for this. Not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. And that's why we're like, oh my gosh. It's that, that place where, oh, we got so much favor with the judge. So this is what's happening in heaven. But down here, whoa, whoa to what is happening. So there you see the judgment seat of Christ during that seven-year period. I want you to see there's this first resurrection and the second resurrection that's listed there in 45. In the first resurrection, these are all those. It's listed there. You see the chapter 20, 21, and then Matthew, Jesus speaks of it as well. In Matthew 25, the eternal life. This is the first resurrection. It occurs before the millennium. This is where the rapture of the church, this is considered the first resurrection, the rapture of the church. Now, we know that Jesus meets us in the air. He doesn't actually touch down. When he comes back the second time in the glorious appearing, he's down. And he touches out on the Mount of Olives, greatest earthquake. We read this last week. Greatest earth, everything's gone. The islands are gone. There are no mountains left. It is no wonder the earth has to be recreated. There's not much left. All right, so if you look at, turn back to page 40 for a moment. Who is the army that's on the white horse? White horses. That's us. That's the army, that's the, right? Jesus is the head of this. He's, we, we know that for sure. He's the rider. But he also says the army. Now picture this. At this point, the army of God, we've, we've been judged all the rankings of everyone's good deeds and their, the hierarchy of how you'll rule and reign with him, it's been established. This one's a general, this one's a private. Right? We're all on our horse, and, and the army is, a, is assembled. The spotless, blemished, unblemished bride is now ready. We're going down, it's going to be a short war. One word, it's over, right? Now, however, the, the demons have convinced, we looked at the, the, the frog demons that come out of the Euphrates and how they deceived the world and the false prophet and the, and the Antichrist and Satan himself, how this has all been figured out. There's many theories floating right now. This whole alien controversy, well, you know, the disappearance of all these people must be alien. We better get ready. We better have a, we better have a, a whole group ready to fight these things that are coming back, right? So however he deceives the world to get them, all the armies of the nations of the earth, to come together to fight the Lamb. You can postulate how this might come about even today, right? So we see who is the army is the body of Christ. Christ, obviously, is the rider leading the armies of Christ. I listed on the bottom of page 40 there, 
in Corinthians and in Colossians and Timothy, he speaks of us as being, Timothy was told by Paul in 2 Timothy 2 there, be a good soldier of Christ. So a question for you, are you being a good soldier of Christ? Are you enduring suffering? Are you presenting yourself as a living sacrifice? Romans 12. Avoiding the things that the world is enticing all to do. That's a good question for all of us to take stock on because it's part of the getting the bride ready with the garments. What are you doing for Christ? What deeds in your garment are being readied for Christ? Those are all good things for all of us to ask. Not by works, because remember, salvation is not by works. But once we're in, we realize, man, we've got a lot of brothers and sisters. We need to help along. Jude tells us, snatch them out of the flames. Turn to page 41. The highlights of the Revelation chapter, I want to go on to on, in, more in chapter 19. God has judged the harlot. In verse 2 there, we looked at that. Last week was the Babylonian harlot, both the religious system and the governmental system. We spent a lot of time talking about that last week. So he has judged this harlot who has deceived the men after money and all of their pride and arrogance. And then the, the corollary to that or the, the antithesis of that, verse 8, is the bride has made herself ready. We've covered this. Verse 14 there in the highlights, I would encourage you to read Zechariah. Read Zechariah 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. Zechariah, 600 years before Christ's birth, wrote an amazing, one of the, probably the best of the Old Testament prophetic correlations of these scriptures, both in the book of Daniel as well as in Revelation. It gives you Christ's first coming, His second coming, what will happen in the battle, it's amazing. And Zechariah 14 culminates that with the armies following there closely with Revelation 14. We know that Jesus in verse 15 there smites the nations with the word of His mouth. We know that He is the King of kings. How about that gathering the vultures to eat the flesh of these armies? It's just, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the ugh, that's bad news, man. Um, if Think of it this way. I was thinking, how the heck could the blood run miles and miles to the height of a horse's bridle? That's a lot of blood. But remember, the, remember the, in one of the woes where these meteorites, uh, not meteorites, um, hailstones, 130-pound hailstones come down? So just think, those who've been to Israel, you can imagine, it's a warm place. Take a 130-pound stack of ice who's now falling, and it's taking out people, and the battle's going down. And then, if you've ever seen the battle during D-Day, where Omaha Beach ran red with our boys' blood, mix that with the melting ice, you could see the picture of how that might possibly... So, no, that can't possibly be true. Yeah, it's true. I believe it is true. There are those who um, take this word literally. The premillennialists are the ones who believe that this word is literal. I happen to be one of them. But there are two other categories, at least two others. The, and and LaHaye deals with these. I'm just going to digress for a moment because you may hear it. I just want to have you look at it. The amillennialists and the premillennialists. The premillennialists, this is on page uh, 331. If you're doing follow along, you don't have it in the handout. But the premillennialists are, which is the most accepted view, believes that this is literally going to happen. 
that Christ is really going to come back. There really is going to be a war. Israel's really going to be a nation in the latter days in its home. Guess what? When 600, 700 years ago, well, maybe it's all spiritual. No. Today, as this thing gets more and more into focus, this word is literal. We see it being fulfilled, every prophetic word coming out of what we see in Israel and the nations, even the, which I've shared in the last few weeks, those who are in, right now in Syria, aligned on the border in the Golan Heights against Israel. These are literal nations that did not exist in this context a few hundred years ago. So the, the premillennials believe that this book is literal, and I happen to believe that that is true. It's going to happen. Seven years is seven years, Right? Daniel 70 weeks or 70 weeks of years. Okay, the other view, I'll just put this out because you ever hear of it, an amillennial. Those who think that it's, it's not, you can spiritualize this whole book. And I know that that's a trap. It's a serious trap today. There are those that are saying that the book is just a, a good, this Bible is really just a good group of stories that we can draw moral principles from. But this idea of, a, of, a, of a, a virgin giving birth to a Savior, that's, that's not literal. Wrong, okay? So that the amillennialists are the ones that have spiritualized everything and believe that the Bible is not literal. So, I'm, you know, obviously I don't hold to that theory. The last one is the postmillennialists, which is almost extinct now. It says... This suggests that the world's going to get better and better and better, and the world will be Christianized. That kind of went out with World War I and World War II, when 40 million were killed in World War I and 60 million were killed in World War II. And what's it, it doesn't look like it's getting a whole lot better, right? In fact, it's going to wax worse and worse if you listen to Jesus' problem. When Jesus sat on, the, sat on the Mount of Olives and gave the prediction in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and Mark 13, this is what's going to happen. And now it's happening. I don't think he was spiritualizing it, okay? He was telling the boys exactly what was coming. Okay, back to page 42. Page 42 of your handout. The last day of the great tribulation, the thousand-year reign of Christ. We know that this, believe, this thing starts, if you look at that... Um, that paragraph there, it says, there's this great earthquake that alters the entire shape of the world. It is really, really bad. The two witnesses, what happens is a culmination of things that happen almost simultaneously. The two witnesses that were slain for three and a half days, remember they're, they're partying in Jerusalem, the world, CNN and all the Fox News, BBC are, are looking at the two witnesses that have been slain, they're giving presents to each other, and all of a sudden God turns the table on that. They're brought back to life, <laughs> and they're resurrected as they go up. Then you got the earthquake. So this is like a bad day for the unbelievers, right? A really bad day. The earthquake that has never been seen again, like that before. And again, Zechariah 14, 6 and 7 talks about this. The world is thrown in tremendous fear because the day shall not be clear nor dark. And that day, this is the day of the Lord. We also see in that Third paragraph down says, the tribulation's last day marks the first day of the millennium, the thousand-year reign, during that millennial reign, the reign of Christ, and total peace is about to come on the whole earth. Turn to page 20, uh, uh, page 43, which is Revelation 20. The beginning of the thousand-year reign, the first thing that happens is 
Satan is locked up. He's kept, he, at that point, we see the, the throne of the saints, the resurrected martyrs. And the highlights from this particular chapter, one, the strong angel, probably Michael, because he's the war. Remember, in Daniel, we read there was a warring angel when Daniel started to pray. Gabriel shows up and says, when you started to pray 21 days ago, God answered your prayer, but we've been kind of delayed by fighting, fighting against the, the prince of Persia, the, the, the demon force over Iran, and I got to get back there and help out Michael. I don't know how that all works, but here we go. He is then given this authority to take a hold of the old slew foot and lock him up. We also see that the, the saints of the tribulation in verse 4, they're rewarded. On the first day of the millennium, the saints of the church that begin their rule of the nations, and John observes that the tribulation martyrs are included in this group. They're given special authority. He poses a question, when were these martyrs resurrected from their place of rest under God's altar? On the tribulation's last day when Jesus comes back to set up his rule. So here's another rapturing up of those taken out, those who have been faithful in the midst of the martyrdom of all that they, re, they did not receive the mark, they did not worship the beast, and here they are again, God is about ready to gather his whole body of believers together in one big gathering. Verse 5 says, the wicked dead plus those who were destroyed at the coming of Jesus and his armies, they do not live again in the earthly reign of Jesus until that time. So we see in this period of time, in fact, I think I have, I want to have you turn to another. If you'll turn to page 45B, this does a really good job of uh, talking about the different elements of who is being judged at the great white throne judgment. We're going we're gonna to skip ahead for a minute so we can reflect about who's, who's here. In the great white throne judgment, we know, first of all, this is of the dead. There are no believers in this judgment. We've already been placed before the judgment seat of Christ. So that's already done deal. Those who are his, it's marked. But now it says the great white throne judgment comes and the dead are brought before. And said, so first, all those who might be living. This is interesting. There are actually, I believe, and I think LaHaye's got it, there are two books of life. There are two books of life. The first one are the living right now. You and I are written in the book of life. It's not done yet. You're not dead, so you have not, if you have not accepted Christ, all those who are alive and living right now, their name is in a book of life. You're alive. But there is the Lamb's book of life. And the scriptures make two very clear distinctions here. When you die, it says it wants to die, then the judgment and it's at that point you go to one of two places. Look at the group here that prior to Christ, there's Sheol and Hades, the former paradise. Remember in Luke 16 where the rich man and Lazarus, it's a great study, you can look at that in Luke 16, where the rich man who had everything ignored the needs of Lazarus. He's sitting at his, he had, he had all the means to help him out. This is the, the fact that he obviously did not accept God and didn't care about the, the poor man, it says the rich man went to Hades, and he's in torment in the flames. 
even argues with Abraham. Said he sees Abraham at the Gulf, and he says, "Send someone back to my brothers. I have five brothers. If you would send somebody back from the dead, then they would know they don't want to come here." He says, "No, they had the prophets. If they don't want to listen to the prophets, they won't listen to somebody who comes back from the dead." Jesus came back from the dead. They didn't listen to him either. So, so here we have the situation that they are already in a tormented place, and they are there until the great white throne judgment, at which time they are then placed in a bodily form. It says their ashes and all of what they were, their bodies, the graves, they are then put together, every cell of their body, and in their soulless realm, which has been in torment for the thousand years, faces the great white throne judgment, and they stand before the judge. You rejected me, and now they are judged in the torment forever and ever and ever. Those who say there's no hell, I don't know where you get that from. If you read this book, I don't know how, how do you ever get that? One-third of the book deals with heaven, and two-thirds of this book in those scriptures deal with hell. So we see here this judgment in the lake of fire. And then to the right of that handout, uh, in that handout there on page 45, it says the book of human works, they're judged out of their works, Revelation 20. And then the Lamb's book of life, Revelation 21. And it also says, these are Old Testament, I believe, saints. Galatians 3, Paul deals with these things, those who are judged out of the law. So prior to Christ and the resurrection, those who were in the Old Testament, which I believe are the ones that are with Abraham in his bosom, awaiting this, this is prior to the resurrection, those are guys like Noah, right? John the Baptist, right? The greatest of all the Old Testament prophets, Jesus said. They're in that place. It's a holding place of peace, but they also will come before God. During that time, he gathers all of his people together at the judgment seat of Christ. They don't go to the great white throne judgment, but those who don't believe. So I believe that there's two books, books of life, and he says they're obviously the books of works. All right, turn back to that other page. Let's go back a little bit. On page 44, page 44, we see after the thousand-year reign, it says that Satan is let out again. I don't, I don't like that. Do you? <laughs> Can we vote on that, Lord? <laughs> Lord, it was so good when he was locked up, right? But um, here's the deal. There's, apparently, there are going to be people born during the thousand-year reign, right? And so there's this place. At that point, let's take us. We're going to get raptured out maybe. Let's say tomorrow, okay? We're raptured out tomorrow. We're in that place. So we come down with him. We're in the, the place of, of the thousand-year reign. We've already accepted in Christ. We're in the Lamb's book of life. We, ex we receive special blessing by being in the Lamb's book of life, ruling and reigning with him in the great city. But then there's all these others. Remember, he says, the city is literally 1,400 miles long and wide. They say, one of the guys figured out the, the dimensions of this thing. It's like from the eastern seaboard to the Mississippi and from Canadian uh, border to the Mexico border. That's a large city. In fact, it says they calculate, I don't know how they figured this out, they assume based on population and number you've got saved, blah, blah, blah. They said, let's postulate there's 20 billion in the family. 20 billion saved in the family. That would mean that every one of us gets one-third square miles as our place in heaven. You've got a block. 
that's awesome. If you want to have a ranch, I guess you have, you know, garden. I it's, it's not like when he said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if it wasn't so, I would have told you, right? Jesus said in John 14. So he's been preparing this in my father's house, right? Are many, many mansions, right? So it's big. And he says, even if you put 20 billion people in that, this crystal sea of glass and gold and jasper and beauty and light and whew, you got a one-third block. You got a mansion there. That's awesome. I like that. I, I, yes. Yeah. Right. Now, think about this. Right now, when you think about where evil originates from, one is Satan. We know he's the tempter, right? He's the one that deceives the nations. We, so we know that Satan's locked up for a thousand years, right? But also man's heart. Those unredeemed, man's heart is despitefully wicked, right? We know that there are those that are born during the thousand-year reign. We who have been tested already... Prior to the end of this thing, we already are in. We believe in Christ. We're in, we're, we've already been tested. We've gone through the fire. But there's a group that has never been tested. Those are the ones that are outside the city. And I don't know how they do this, but we've got it written on our foreheads, it said, right? And so inside the city, is there's no evil. But outside the city, there is evil. A lot of postulation about, so there's unredeemed humanity that has not been tested yet. That's why he lets Satan out for a season. They've got to be tested to see if they're worthy. So, again, it's a theory based on Scripture that we know there's a thousand-year reign. And why, he let, why would you let Satan out except, LaHaye says, we've got to find out who's really part of the team and not. There are those that come through this phase, this period of time, right? The redeemed that are there, brought up into heaven. Then there's, remember, this is the thousand-year reign before the new Jerusalem. So there is humanity that has been living on the earth during this tribulation. Some survive, and then there's those that are born during this Holocaust time. And they've been untested in their faith. And so, that again, you notice that the thousand years and the new Jerusalem, there's only a short little bit in the Scriptures. More to be written, I think, or more revelation to come on what this is. But the commentators believe that the, the, the most common thought is Satan needs to be released before he's thrown in the lake of fire to test those who are on the earth that might be here during that period of time. Let's pick that up. I think we'll see it here more. There are also uh, several battles. I want you to see something. We've covered this a little bit, but I want to dig into it a little more. Um, I believe that we're probably sitting on the eve of this battle that is listed by Ezekiel in page 311. But I want to point out, Ezekiel deals with two aspects here in Ezekiel 39, um, if you don't have that in your handout, um, if you don't have the book, it's, I'll just kind of cover this with you. 
we covered a few weeks ago, Ezekiel 38 and 39 is the war of Gog and Magog. Remember those? It says, in the latter days, uh, you will come from the, out, from the distant north against my people that are now dwelling safely in the land. And those that come with you, a confederation of Persia, which is Iran, Syria, uh, Lebanon, and Gog and Magog. So we've talked about that. And Togomar, which is Turkey. So if you go north, who is north of Israel? First thing is the Golan Heights, you get to Syria. Then you go further up, you get Turkey. And then as you go further north, you get Moscow. In fact, directly above Israel is Moscow. So, and, and we know from the historical record that those, who, those names of those tribes settled in those areas. So I believe we are on the eve of this war. This could happen, I think, literally at any moment, which I think then kicks us into all of the beginning of the tribulation. If tonight there was an exchange between the Russians and the Israelis, and we got into it, and the, the Syrian, we know Damascus, based on uh, uh, Isaiah prophecy, and um, that there, Damascus is going to be a rubble. It's, it's almost a rubble now, but it's going to be completely demolished. And at that time, we believe one quarter of the earth is destroyed. So there's going to be a nuclear exchange, and Russia is going to be ultimately destroyed. And I believe the confederation of those that exist today, actually with troops in Syria on the border, who've launched missiles in the last few weeks against Israel. You don't hear anything about that. you got all this other stuff going on, right? Um, that would kick off immediately the next day a meeting at the United Nations that would give a platform for the Antichrist. If one twenty-fifth of the world, a quarter of the world is destroyed, you believe that the, at that moment the world would get together, right? We've got to stop this stuff. Nuclear disarmament, we can't have this. This is crazy. The nuclear winds, we covered that. What would happen if in six months it probably would be dark? There would be a complete obliteration. It would begin the woes that would start. The, the plagues would come, the, the pollution of waters. At that point, you can see where the Antichrist... So I believe that's the, that is the kickoff to what's next. Some of the rabbis believe that to be true also. And so it will also set in place the peace accord that the Antichrist then comes in and says, whoa, whoa, peace, peace, peace. we got to get together and allows the Jews to build their temple, the third temple, which will take less than a year, they say a year to build. They have all the materials set aside for it and the blueprints already. So you could see the correlate. This thing could happen, bang, 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 really rapidly. In the, but in Ezekiel's prophecy, what I like, what LaHaye says here, and I think I, I agree with him on this, that... This could happen before the rapture of the church or initiate right after this war could initiate the rapture of the church. This is on the page, the bottom page 11 says, this war, whether it is before or after the rapture of the church, is impossible to ascertain. But we do believe that the Ezekiel prophecy of 38 and chapter 39 describes both the destruction of the armies of Gog and Magog that come against Israel probably just prior to the start of the tribulation. So I get pretty excited when I see these alignments and when I see the, the, uh, the Russian president declaring that we are, the United States is in the crosshair and we've developed missiles that now can come and you, you don't have a defense against. And then our president pulls us out of the, uh, the missile treaty. And then last week, the Russian president came out and says, if you put 
the missiles that you're talking about putting in the NATO alliance, the short-range, intermediate-range missiles that you're talking about putting in Europe with NATO, if you do that, we're going to put missiles in your backyard, like maybe Venezuela, right, Cuba. Remember the Cuban Missile Crisis? Some of you weren't even born yet, but I remember it. We were on the brink of war with Khrushchev during those days and Kennedy. And so I believe we could be sitting right on the edge of this thing, and we just need to get ready. All right, moving right along. Take it um, on, on the bottom of page 44 there, verse 12, where it says, The unrighteous, the wicked, are judged from God's books, including the book of life. John saw only the dead stand before the throne. This group is composed of the wicked dead from all ages because all the believers have already received their rewards, and we know that only the wicked are judged at this time. Death and hell are thrown into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. Verse 15, all whose names are in the book of life are, are, are found, all whose names are not in the book of life are found guilty and cast into the lake of fire, the state of eternal death. Page 45, the first resurrection and the last resurrection. I just want to cover this a little bit here. We see in the first resurrection, I've listed there the one through seven, it says the resurrection of the dead in Christ at the appearing of Christ. That is the rapture. Remember 1 Corinthians 15 there? Those who are dead in Christ are brought up together with him and caught up in the air, and so shall it be in the twinkling of an eye. We will be, we will be. So that is where Christ does not touch down. He comes into the air, but he calls up his church. And those who were dead saints are raised with him, and we who are alive with them at that time are caught up. That's, that's part of it. But then you look on and it says, then there's the catching up of the great multitude in the mid-tribulation in Revelation 7, 9. Then there's the catching up of the 144,000 servants of God. Then there's the resurrection of the two witnesses. And then there's the catching up of the two witnesses, the ascension there. So we see the resurrection of the tribulation martyrs. So there are, they classify these as phases, but they all consider this the first resurrection. Interesting, right? Then the last resurrection and the white, the, the white throne judgment, and that's the wicked of all the ages. This is where on page 45A, I've tried to show you there in those two charts, the first resurrection lists those who are the born-again ones. The second resurrection is those who are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Satan there, the unbelievers, occurs after the millennium. It's called the dead in 20 verse 12. The judge, the tormented day and night, they find no place for them, cast into the lake of fire, weeping in the gnashing of teeth. Jesus spoke of that in Matthew 25. The everlasting punishment. Okay, page 46. The new heaven. This awesome. No pollution. I don't want to get political, but this is the ultimate green deal. <laughs> I get in trouble with you. He's so political. I, I, had to, I don't know how to unmix it. I mean, it is, it is what it is. I mean, but anyway, God just, uh, th there's no seas here. You know, it's amazing. Think about how, where the population is right now. It's, it's, it's not in the mountains and high mountains, right? It's not in the seas. If you took away all the seas and all the mountains, God redid, redid this thing, there'd be a lot of room. But anyway, just a thought. He says, a new, he says I make everything new. <laughs> what does that mean? I, I have no idea. No eye has seen. Ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love him. 
So the highlights of this chapter are just, uh, I, I already gave you the size of what they say is this new Jerusalem, that uh, 1,500 square miles, Lahaye says 1,400 square miles, we won't argue about 100 miles. And uh, then the former things of the old earth have passed away, verse 4. Verse 5, God makes all things new. Those who overcome inherit all things of God. He promises complete, are complete and fulfilled. The wicked go into the lake of fire. The new Jerusalem then descends, and it is the glory of God, and it shines like the crystal. You know, it's kind of, if you've ever tried, can you, can you imagine trying to describe something that, if, if I go into Mozambique and I try to describe something in the bush to somebody that they've never seen, so John is trying to describe what he's seeing in the New Jerusalem with all the gems and Jew, and like, he does the best he can. It's going to be awesome. That's all we can, all we can know. The good news here in uh, verse 27, I think I said that, only the righteous are found here. Wickedness does not exist on the new earth. All categories of the wickedness are turned into the lake of fire at the end of the millennium. That's the end. This is where at the end of the thousand years, so there's still wickedness. My view of this, there's still wickedness on the earth during the thousand-year reign, but it's not in the city. So there's like a safe zone. <laughs> That's my words, right? Right? But after the thousand-year reign, there is no more. Every, everything is judged at that point. And God, in all of it, that's where eternity, at this point, we are ruling and reigning with Him, says we will see His face. So the, the highlights of that are there is, no more, there is no more wickedness. We know the river of life is there. The tree of life is there. There's no need. There's no night. Um, the grace of God sustains everything. The river of life produces the tree of the tree with the fruit that's there. That's it's just wow. I mean, it it appears to be just this incredible time of forever. If you've ever had a moment with God where you're just like in such a place of worship where you're like, oh, can you imagine that all the time? No tears, no, no, no longer any pain, no longer any, and we, we're so conditioned, we don't know what that looks like. We learn to cope here on earth, but it's going to be amazing. And verse 15 where it says, the sinners and the unjust are without the city. That does not mean that they live somewhere outside of New Jerusalem. The exclusion is extreme. At some point, they're, reading, they're in the lake of fire. This is the judgment. This is where after the thousand-year reign and New Jerusalem has come down, there is no more evil. Everything has been judged and everything is complete. All right. Um, I, I want to leave just a few moments for questions, and maybe we can sort some of the any questions you might have. But I want you to look at, in page 50, I listed, there are seven, eight items here that the commentators they, there's people that postulate what these might mean, but the reality is um, there's, no, there's no straightforward answer. And so I just listed, we shouldn't add, remember what he warned, don't add to it and don't take away from it, right? So we can ask the Holy Spirit what it might mean, but I just want to say, look, at this point I can't find any clarity to who are the four creatures and their strange appearance. Who's the personal identity of the first rider on the white horse? We know what the Revelation 19 rider is, 
But when we look at the horses of the apocalypse and, and those in Revelation 6, the half hour of silence, what, wow, what, what is that? I, I don't know. I've, no, that's a joke I probably shouldn't tell. Oh, yeah, I'm going to tell it. <laughs> you heard, you heard it, right? Why is there silence in heaven? Because the men were raptured first. <laughs> that's probably sexist. I repent. Uh, all right, anyway. All right, anyway, I'm just moving on. I'll, I'll just say, we don't know why, okay? Um, John's future ministry in Revelation 10, we don't, what, what does that look like? I, I don't know. Yeah, that's uh, number four, I'm sorry, the nature and the purpose of the seven thunders. Again, some of these things are, you know, why, I don't know. Um, we, we talked about and debated who are the two witnesses. I said most come down that it's Moses and Elijah, but again, it doesn't identify anywhere in Scripture who they might, who they actually are. We'll have to be surprised when we see them. <clears throat> the area covered by wilderness where the Israelis hide out. Remember we said there's an underground railroad that takes place. I postulated it might be Jordan. King Abdullah right now is being propped up. When we were there in, in November in Israel, um, if Israel was not supplying the water and some of the power to King Abdullah, he would fall. And so... He's also, that whole border with Jordan, which they used to be, you know, vile enemies, uh, that right now is, is, is peace. And so, could it be in the latter days when the Antichrist is hunting down the Israelis for the final attempted genocide of anti-Semitism, where do they hide? Again, it's not clear where that wilderness is, but some postulate, I think it could be. Yeah, it's possible. Where, how you hide them is... Uh, it's just saying the scriptures are not clear where this is going to be. Uh, and the exact effect of the leaves of the tree of life, you know, why, are the, why do the nations need healing in, Re, in that Revelation 22? Yeah, I, good. Well, I hope you have the answer because I don't. Because <laughs> um, interesting, there's no more sin, there's no more, and, and so there's the tree that brings the healing to the nations. Are there... Other worlds and other things that we're going to rule and reign with? I don't know. Um, all I can say is it's going to be good. Right? He's good, and however it is, it's good. And he is the healer. I thought the next chart on page 51 was very, at least for you engineers, this is kind of, um, <laughs> put it all on there. It's like, okay. So if you look at the very bottom of that square, 1, 2, A, B, 3, 4, A, J, I tried to correlate, if you look at one, two, three, four here in the bottom, this is what's going on. So there's a timeline. It starts with the church age ending, which we saw in Revelation 3, then the rapture of the church, and then the thousand-year reign is the other border, and then what's going on, all this stuff in between. And uh, I tried, you got Zechariah, I got Revelation in there, and then I, you, you see kind of, this is a 50,000 point of view of the rapture of the church, the release of Antichrist. The destruction, the, the world war dealing with Russia's destruction in 2B. The 144,000 that begin there, amazing. You get 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams running all over the place, right? Then the mid-tribulation and the breaking of the agreement, the rapture, the great, mul rapture, the great multitude that are coming up out of the, the upheaval there, nature being all messed up. Then the Antichrist move against Israel. The harlot is destroyed. Babylon is destroyed. So you kind of see that kind of gives you 
at least a, a crazy overview of everything that's going on in Daniel's 70th week, which is the last seven-year period before it's all over. And I believe we're about ready to end the church age. We are in this Laodicean period, the last of the seven church ages. We are in that the apostate church is here. It is around. Look at what's going on. Even this week, I was happy to hear my, my roots out of the Methodist church, at least the hierarchy of the Methodist church, mostly driven by the leadership in South America and in Africa of that church, voted not to ordain homosexuals. But in the United States, a majority of them, they're already doing it. So now they're trying to decide, well, what if you have a local church that's ordaining a homosexual under the ordination of the Methodist church? They're trying to sort all that out. So, but when we look at the apostate church today, it's here, the falling away. Those that there are now pastors teaching that there's no virgin birth. Some of you have left churches that have preached that. Right, Terry? Um, there are those that say there's no hell, that God loves everybody, so he'd never send anybody to hell. They can't believe this book then is literal, right? So the apostate church, I believe we're at that Laodicean phase, and where we are now is I think the next thing that's about to happen, it's going to get ugly quickly. All right, turn the page. Um, the last two pages here is um, when I look at the nature upheaval, there's just all the stuff that goes on. You, you, you talk about needing a new green deal. My goodness, um, nature is really, we really messed this up. And there are those that are preaching that uh, there will, the earth will not need to be replaced. But if you literally understand the interpretation of Revelation, um, there's going to be a need for a new earth. And we know from Peter's description of, <clears throat> turn with me, if you will, um, in Peter. The day of the Lord's coming, 2 Peter chapter 3. There are those that are preaching today that um, the earth will not be destroyed. And again, I don't know where they would get that from, but in 2 Peter chapter 3, <clears throat> Peter labels, remember Peter just before, this is his last will and testament. He's about ready um, to be crucified upside down by Nero. And he writes this just before his death. As the, and he's telling the church, the fledgling church that he's about to turn over, he tells them what's coming. And this is my second letter to you, verse 1, chapter 3, 2 Peter. I've tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember what the holy prophets said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through the apostles. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth, following their own desires, and they will say, what happened to the promise of Jesus coming again? For before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens with the word of his command, and he brought the earth out of the water, surrounded with water, then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and, and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment. We know that that's one day, right? The day of judgment is a particular final day when ungodly people will be destroyed. You must not forget this one thing, dear, brother, dear friends. One day is a thousand years with the Lord, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord isn't 
really slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, thunders, and their very elements will disappear in fire. The earth and everything in it will be found to deserve judgment. Since the ground around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly people and what kind of lives should you be living? Look forward for the day to hurry it along. The day will come and the elements will melt within the flames. Looking forward for the new heavens and a new earth, he promised a, word, a world filled with God's righteousness. So we see both from Peter's account, John's account, um, Zechariah's account, Amos's account, Joel's account, um, that it's going to come to an end. And he's going to have to recreate a more perfect world. So we see that in there. And then on the last page, um, this is again, I tried to, we get, I get a little, the seals, the trumpets, the vials, the bowls, and bah, and it's like, okay. So this might help, I don't know. Again, the engineers kind of folks, if you look at the, the seals that are listed there, the seven, what are they? We saw the, the four apocalyptic horses, the martyrdom of the saints, then the upheaval of nature that started. Then the trumpets, this is where God really starts to pour out his wrath on, and he releases the angels, the, actually the demonic realm, and angels to come. And so we see all of what's taking place. And then the vials, all of the plagues that come, the boils, the blood of the oceans, the blood of the waters, the sun that parches everyone, and then the kings of the east and the upheaval. Um, I hope, it's been helpful for me, I hope for you now, when you read Matthew 24, Jesus' account, or the Luke 21 account, when you start to read the Olivet Discord that Jesus said, this is what's going to happen, when you read that, you can see from the beginning, it's not all about up to the rapture. It is the entire, he speaks of the entire picture. So when he says that those that are in Jerusalem there that are pregnant, woe unto them when they get down, don't even pick up, go to the wilderness. What he's speaking about is the church, the, the Israelites heading out into the wilderness. So when he speaks of that, when the blood, when the moon turns his blood, what he's talking about is the last part of this, the, the final chapter. Um, sometimes we have had this place where many get to a place where, oh, he's talking about the rapture. Well, we now know there's more than one resurrection. There's more than one rapture. There's more than one book. So I hope by studying what is powerful about the Revelation study, once you really dig into it, when you start to read Old Testament prophets or the prophetic words that come out from Jesus, you start, oh, it all fits. It all fits. It's like... Anyway, the other thing, it, I've spent some time crying on my kitchen table with the understanding that what's coming, and oh God, why? Spare, spare my family. Lord, am my deeds sufficient? I, I don't want to come to you empty-handed. I don't want, I want to be steadfast in all that I do. We cannot, we cannot miss what he told us is coming. It ought to motivate us. It really should motivate us. 
it's been doing that to me, is that reverential fear of God. This, he's not winking at sin. He's not saying there is no judgment. And this Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is coming as the lion. He is going to tear apart every enemy that ever came against him, that ever ridiculed his name. He's coming. That ought to motivate us. He's told us in advance, you need to get ready. Four or five times in Matthew 24, get ready. I'm coming. It's right here. I stand at the door. I'm knocking. Get ready. Wake up. Wake up. Don't be asleep. That ought to motivate us. One, as those who give the word out to those who are Jude, his, his brother who mocked him early, who later became a believer, said to him, it's time that we go and we snatch people from the fires of judgment. Those who are dying in all sorts of sin and immorality and brokenness. I've been doing some prayer ministries that, you know, I, I, I don't consider myself naive or sheltered. Now, I've been around, right? I wasn't always a Christian. But I heard some things recently of the vile evil. I'm doing deliverances on some people that have come out of darkness that is so vile and so evil. I can't, I, I go home, I, God, you're going to have to deliver me from what I just heard. The wickedness of sex slavery and the perversion of the LBGT stuff that's going on. And it is just vile wickedness that is Riddled in Romans chapter 1, they continue to invent things of evil. We got we to gotta be the light that shines, guys. I, so I hope it motivates you. It, is, it has put the fear of the Lord in a deeper place in me. That's, whew, careful what you think. Careful what you say. Careful what you watch. Help us, Lord, to be the army. Make our garments ready. We've got a few minutes. I know I've taken up. I want to open any questions that you might have here. Possibly. You're talking about in Ezekiel, where Ezekiel the prophet, he deals with in chapter 1, he talks about the creatures, right? And then he talks about the wheel within a wheel and the eyes all. It's not clear. When you look at the, 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 those before the throne, it's possible that they are because obviously it's a supernatural creature that Ezekiel is right. He's taken up and he, he's in, he sees these things and there's a lot of similarities, but they're not all the same. So does God have other creatures? He probably does. I mean, but uh, the ones that are spoken there, again, I, I listed that as one of the unknowns. Who, who are these creatures with all these eyes are they the ones that are doing all the recording of everything said and done in the world? It says, the eyes of the Lord look to and fro in the earth, looking for someone that he might show himself strong in? I don't know. But I do know he knows everything. Good question, man. Philip, did you have a question? Oh, Dale. The question was, when the rapture occurs, does the horseman come out? Many believe that the rapture occurs first. And then if you look in that chapter 4, 5, and 6, where it talks about the apocalypse, then they're released, and it's stars. The, the premise here is that we looked at the chapter in chapter Revelation chapter 3, where it says, he keeps you 
This is a good scripture to end on positively. Turn, turn to Revelation 3. I think it's in verse 10. Revelation 3. Um, where it says, he will keep you from what is coming. Revelation 3.10. Because, he, he says this to the church at Philadelphia. Revelation 3.10, he says, because you have kept my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing. That's not any other testing. It's the great time of testing. And so, that will come on the whole on the earth to test all who belong to the world. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. So the, the, the thought is, would you punish your children if they're behaving? Not if you're a good parent. <laughs> if you're not abusive, you wouldn't. And God's not abusive. So if you are his child and you are doing your best to, to do the commands of, the earth, of what he's put in there, he's going to keep you from what's coming. He's not going to pour out his judgment and wrath on the obedient children. That's not who he is. So that's why the premise, and I believe it's a good one, the rapture occurs, and then the apocalyptic horsemen are starting to be released, which then leads to the bowls and the woes and the trumpets and question, Philip? Are there different rooms in hell? <laughs> um, I don't know, but there, there, is, there is extreme wickedness that, remember, just like there's judgments... Uh, there are rewards for those who have done the good deeds, right? You're judged according to your works. So, but one thing I will say, there is no purgatory. There's no second chance. There is no scripture that can back that up. I've had this argument with other family members and stuff. So, um, the only chance is here, okay? And so, but it's possible because, again, God's a, a righteous judge does Stalin and Hitler deserve the same judgment that the person who just didn't acknowledge Christ? Again, I could judge that in the human sense, but I can't validate it through Scripture. It's still the lake of fire. The fire is still hot. I mean, maybe it's 500 degrees versus, I don't know, but yeah. Yes, and we covered that one of the first, we, we actually looked at, I think, four categories of um, those different raptors, the pre, pre-rapture folks, that, uh, pre-millennial rapture folks, that pre-trib rapture folks that believe before the tribulation happens, we're out of here. Based on the church is only mentioned in Revelations chapter 1, 2, and 3, and then it's not mentioned again until Revelation 19. There's no mention of the church or the bride at that moment. So that's the pre-trib rapture believers. But then there's the mid-tribbers that say we go through a season of this, but just before the major wrath is poured out, the real ugly wrath of God is poured out. At that point, because there'll be, you got the 144,000 uh, evangelists doing their thing, there's going to be a lot more born again. At that point, there's a rapture that happens. Now, there is a rapture of the 144,000, which we read. So then there's the post-trib rapture belief that says we go through all of it and we have to face the mark of the beast and all that and be the martyrdom. And that's, so yes, there are those. Um, 
but the majority of Scripture, I believe, can validate at least getting out of here before the, the God pours out His wrath. Just from a fatherhood point of view, I will keep you from the wrath of God. Everybody that's on the earth at the time is unbelievers. They are, n they are not the serious Christians. You don't need to force them. The reason you need to force them to take the mark <coughs> is because they are saying, I'm not going to take it. Yeah. Oh, yep. A thought that comes to <coughs> me with that is that as soon as the church is raptured at a certain point, yeah. they say, oh, no. It's it true. was true. Yeah. So they're left, yeah. and they have to yeah. go through and it. Just as another point, the 144,000, the 12,000 from each of the tribes <laughs> who are the evangelists. That's, that's like the punishment. There's the, you've had the rapture, the disappearance, and then you have the evangelists that are out. Look, it's true. And there are those that are, and remember, the Antichrist doesn't come, he doesn't reveal his real stripes until three and a half years in. So it's when he breaks the covenant with Israel, at that point he declares, I'm God. But that three and a half year period of the first part of the tribulation, there's an evangelistic move after the rapture of the church, is what Lahay says. And that is causing people to say, you know what, I think this stuff they talked about is true. And they become believers and they realize, then they start reading, and they realize, we better not get the mark. So then, at that point, there are those that says, it'll be a test. But also, uh, along with that, um, doesn't it differentiate at some point in Revelation? It says the tribulation, and then it differentiates between the great tribulation. And I've heard it taught that the great tribulation is when the wrath of God comes out. Yeah, that's at the three so and a half the point. So the second three and a half part year point, of yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah of the tribulation yeah. or the three and a half years. Plus, I have a question myself. I, it keeps coming up, and you just referred to it. A, a uh, day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. So the thousand-year reign of Christ could only be one day. Well, I suppose. Um, <laughs> I, so all of maybe Jesus you know, only or, or if it's a thousand years, it could be a day times every thousand years is one day. So it could be 7,000 years. Well, let's put it this way. Right? Um, God is outside of time. No, wait. No, it could be 365,000 years. Yeah. Right? Yay. I, I want to get to New Jerusalem. Can we get to New Jerusalem? If you look at it that way, 365,000 years of the reign of Christ would be nice. I won't argue with that. The, which means that Christ was resurrected two days ago. So... Um, well, the point that Peter, Peter's making there is God is not slack concerning his promises, but he doesn't want anybody to perish, right? And so, and since he lives outside of time, all this is uh, kind of, once you're there in eternity, what time is it? I don't, I don't, I don't think we'll be wearing watches. You know, just question, Judy? Yes. There's, 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 there are multiple raptures. Yeah. So that would be 
addressing yes. what Bishop was saying, yeah. that um, <coughs> if, Hold if it up. we were all put into the tribulation, who would the tribulation saints be? Why would they need to denote the tribulation saints the from, yeah. from the church people? The, the court, yeah, that's a good point as an argument. Because, because he calls them the tribulation saints, right? The saints out of the tribulation and those who have been beheaded. So there's, again, I think is another reinforcement of the fact there are multiple uh, taking up of the body of believers in this. And so, yeah, we got to get children. Well, let's stand and um, thank you for, yes. Jacqueline? Jacqueline, okay. Okay. Well, we want to just come and thank the Lord for um, revealing truth. I know that it's a lot to do in eight weeks, but I thank, I thank you for participating in that. I pray that it does really motivate us to, to be in that place. One, the reverential fear and honor of the Lord. We're going to be without excuse. He's told us what's going to happen. So now, Lord, I pray that you will anchor us in that truth to motivate us to think and behave and do differently. And Lord, we, we pray right now for Jacqueline and for all those in need tonight. We know that there are loved ones that are not saved. There are those that are struggling tonight in, in forms of addiction or brokenness or uh, anger or hurt or woundedness, betrayals, divorce. There's, there's just a lot of wounds in the earth right now, God. We ask that we would be an army, we would be a hospital, we would be a church. We would be that bride, that faithful one. We want to be like the church in Revelation that had no blemishes and no recommended changes, just endurance. <laughs> so, Lord, I know that's a lot to ask, and it's maybe even a scary prayer. But I pray right now, Father, for us to walk that out. And I thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Don't, uh, don't forget that we're starting next Wednesday with our fellowship, we, uh, whole fellowship month. So it's going to be fun the next four weeks of Wednesdays.